Hello, 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 and welcome back. My name is Darius Cook. You're listening to The Darius Show. If you've listened to this before, you know how it goes. I watch a show, I talk about that show. You listen and you enjoy. Today we're talking about Love Life, new show on HBO Max. Season two just dropped. Today we're talking about season one. Let's get into it. Darius Show, Darius Show, Darius Show, Darius Show, Darius Show, Darius Show, Show, Love Life is a is a HBO series starring Anna Kendrick who plays Darby Carter and her search for love throughout her 20s and 30s, often in all the wrong places, while the people she meets along the way leave a lasting impression. Love Life, I would compare it most aptly to Master of None, a Netflix series. If you haven't seen that series, it's starring Aziz Ansari, and very similarly, it depicts uh, what it's like navigating the adult world, especially as it pertains to the dating life. What Love Life does that Master of None... uh, just falls a little short of is absolute laser focus and its portrayal of accurate relationships and situations that people have to deal with in their life. I found shades of Darby Carter's relationships and relationships with her family and and friends and you know significant others to be painfully realistic and all too familiar in my life and the lives of those around me. This show does not pull any punches, but it's also not afraid to make you fall in love with each person that it brings on the screen. Love Life Episode 1 opens up to a narration of the sobering statistic that the average adult American will experience at least two long-term relationships, a series of short-term flings, fall in love twice, and experience heartbreak at least two times. This is an interesting backdrop for the entire series as it sets up something of a structure that we're going to follow along as we follow Darby. This is Anna Kendrick's character, Darby Carter, through her 20s and 30s as she navigates learning how to be an adult in the in society, in the world, and what it's like to really embrace adulthood, but mainly how to navigate relationships and how to value yourself over others in a relationship and basically what to look for. Like I mentioned, the show opens up to this narration, and the narration is actually present throughout every episode. Sometimes it's opening up with the narration. Sometimes it's bookending an episode, uh, reminding our audience uh, what the major theme of that episode is, what the lesson is to take away. And sometimes it's peppered out throughout the episode. This is a new trend I've seen in shows lately. In the last couple of years, a lot of shows are opting for this narration style. It's unlike what you might have seen in the mid-2000s with Scrubs, where your main character is doing the voiceover narration. And in this case, and in the case that I've seen in more shows increasingly as of late, the narration is from a third-party uh, voice and point of view. It's, it's very clearly not our main character's point of view, which I think is interesting. I, I actually really like the, the trend in narration uh, to give you a bird's-eye view into what the characters are thinking. I... I like that in my media right now. So off the bat, the show introduces us to who is going to be the most impactful love interest that we meet throughout the series here. And his name is Augie. So the episode is called Augie and Darby. 
and uh, true to form for any media that introduces you to a power couple just to take them away from you. It feels like you're watching up, you know, that opening scene where you've watched Carl and Ellie fall in love. Very similar dynamic here. The second these characters come on screen together, it's lightning in a bottle immediately. The chemistry is there. Uh, as an audience, as a skeptical audience, especially watching episode one, uh, I am worried, well, where, where's the other shoe going to drop for this character? When is he going to turn out to be a douchebag or something like that? But that doesn't really happen. Uh, you get to watch the first couple months of this new blossoming relationship that's really cute and just endearing. I believe the characters are supposed to be about 23 and 24 at the moment uh, when we're introduced to them very early on in their lives, especially in their dating lives. But uh, anyone who watches this episode, it, there's no way you're not going to be rooting for Augie and Darby to go the long run. Unfortunately, their relationship gets cut up a little short because Augie wants to follow his dreams and he gets this big opportunity to do what he loves in a different state. And for these characters at this point in their lives, that really just doesn't work out. So this is our first bittersweet moment that we really get from the show. It comes kind of like a gut punch where there's a few moments where you think that they might figure it out or they are going to find some solution or maybe he'll change his mind and choose love over this potential opportunity career. But he doesn't. Uh, he and every the two characters respect each other in this moment. There's no hard feelings necessarily other than the fact that it is a heartbreaking scenario. I have seen situations like this in my personal life. Um, I've experienced similar situations myself, and it, feeling like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place is truly the most devastating thing, especially as it comes to relationships. So uh, I do think that the show hit all those emotions pretty well, and it does a great job of just establishing the type of rollercoaster of emotions we're going to be going on in this series. Another thing that the first episode accomplishes really well is establishing a great group dynamic between Darby Carter and her roommates. This is where we get the introduction of Sarah, who becomes a much larger player in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but Sarah is, is her best friend. Uh, their third best friend is Mallory. She's less important to the plot overall, but her friendship and loyalty is certainly to be noted throughout the season. And Jim, who is Sarah's boyfriend, but also the fourth roommate to round out our little group dynamic here. I really like the playful banter they have. Um, that's This is what sets the show apart from just being a romantic comedy to also standing firmly as a comedy in moments uh, in of itself. When the roommates are just riffing with each other and bantering back and forth, it feels very similar to watching New Girl, which is a great buddy comedy that has a similar group dynamic between four roommates. In this situation, the genders would just be reversed a little bit. The following episode, we follow Darby as she enters a brand new relationship. I believe that this one lasted about nine months, and this is with Bradley. Bradley is a bit older than she is. I think I want to say the gap is somewhere between 10 years, maybe up to 15 years, but I think 10 years is probably about that sweet spot. But whereas she's in her early to mid-20s, he's probably in his mid to late 30s. Uh, certainly not impossible to have a relationship like that, but I do think that it is one of the factors at play uh, as we see their relationship unfold. The main emotional crux of this episode is when Bradley finds out that his father died, and Darby, being 23, maybe 24 at this point, has to be emotionally there for him during this tragic time in his life. She shows up to the wedding surrounded by all these people she's never seen before and is kind of just left alone at, excuse me, I said wedding, 
funeral. <laughs> she show, she goes to the funeral to support him, of course. But he is so wrapped up in his own emotions that he pretty much just leaves her alone at this funeral. Certainly an awkward position for anyone to be in, especially when she is confronted by her previous friend who used to date uh, Bradley before she did. Actually, they were married, come to think of it. Uh, this does set up a lot of drama. If there's anything I would ever ding the show for, it's that the her the mutual friend character that was dating Bradley before Anna Kendrick's character was, she doesn't come back into the fold. Uh, they have a quick little catty dialogue uh, implying that there will be more drama to be had on that plot later on. But they the show actually never brings her back up, and I think that that would have been uh, an interesting conversation to grapple with friendship in a situation when you're dating one's ex and it was an amicable breakup and all those type of things. I think that that is a ripe discussion that the series could have sunk their teeth into, but it's a small ding because the show delivers on all other fronts. Overall, their relationship does not work out, and it just highlights that Darby might not be ready for this type of commitment in her life. Uh, Based on her behavior, she seemed totally ready to dive all in and hopefully marry this character, but it's here that we see she might have a little bit more maturing to do before she's ready to take on somebody else's emotional baggage. Episode three is certainly, in my opinion, the easiest one to skip over in terms of Darby's overall development. Every chapter that we see in the show does have large implications on her character and do all lead to a greater point. I just think that this episode is the weakest case for that, but it is still a very fun episode. So this is the case of Danny Two Phones. Uh, The second we see this character at a party, uh, we see Darby is, she just kind of wants to let loose after the very heavy relationship she just had with this older man. She, you know, wants to have a little bit more wild fun, let's say. And so she's at this party and we see this guy. Uh, they have a, they have actually a nice flirty banter. Uh, this is certainly not the type of guy Darby would usually go for by the looks of it, but he does reveal himself to be a nice guy and they are able to have a little flirty back and forth. Uh, it's clear between all of her relationships that she does value uh, a nice flirtation. Uh, they, that's Those are the scenes where the writing really always sets up that, you know what, I could fall in love with this person uh, from Darby's point of view. But they they have a nice one-night fling, and the turn of the episode is that he kind of becomes obsessed with her. He feels like this is fate and that they met each other at just the right time. Whereas for Darby, this is more of just a one-and-done type of thing. She certainly did get something out of the interaction, perhaps some self-esteem, Uh, you know, more strong footing when it comes to uh, types of relationships. But she was ready to, you know, one and done, be done with that and leave it on good terms. Uh, So this sets up a fun little back and forth and a little confrontation. But overall, I'd say that what Darby really walks away with from this episode is just a stronger personality, more willing to uh, end a relationship if she has to and kind of know what she wants. Now, what's more interesting to me is this is the episode where Darby's best friend, Sarah, starts to really become a main character. The Patan is passed a little bit, and from this episode forward, we're getting small nuggets in, up until we get to the point that we have a full episode about Sarah of her side plot going on. This, her, her plot is just as meaty as what Darby's going through and has just as many layers and chapters to it. Uh, So in this episode, there's just a bit of a highlight on her and Jim's relationship. 
and that they might be looking for different things in that relationship. She even goes to this party and plays spin the bottle and totally makes out with some other guy, which seemed a bit over the line for me. All the other characters act like it isn't a big deal, so it's kind of played off that way, but I do think the fact that she just played spin the bottle at a random party and made out with some guy wasn't really cool, but it it just shows the audience that she might not be fully in this relationship, Um, and of course, that uh, builds a little bit more into the head, to a head, and following episodes. Episode four is called Magnus Lund, and this really introduces the Magnus saga. This is one of the more meteor relationships that Anna Kendrick can send, can sink her teeth into in the series. And in my opinion, this is the first relationship, perhaps only, that you can look at and have somewhat of a sour note towards. Uh, He's the fourth one that we've seen. However, it's the first one where in the relationship, you can blame this character. He has many faults, and he lets us down in many ways. The other relationships, in terms of how they ended, you know, maybe the characters were in different points of their lives, or they just weren't right for each other at this point of their lives, or just right for each other at all, but they still had a genuine connection, and that's okay. This this relationship, at, in contrast, leaves you with a sour taste in your mouth. Uh, but I'll, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Magnus Lung is a somewhat successful, somewhat celebrity-type uh, chef, uh, known in the business, I suppose, and he has the ego to boot along with that. He certainly is a professional in his own right. Uh, we do see a lot of scenes where it's clear that he knows what he's doing and he is a very talented chef, but he also has that strong opinion of himself. If I were to recap his character and his effect on our main character, Darby Carter, is its high highs and low lows. So at the beginning of his relationship, you know, he feels really good about where he is in life and he feels very successful and confident. And so that's the same energy he's putting in towards his relationship with Darby. He's telling her how infatuated he is with her and just telling her that, you know, I want to I want to do our lives together and have each other's back. My dream is your dreams, all these big romantic ideals. And when he loses his job he starts to become depressed and he no longer has that belief in himself. And that comes through with his relationship the same as it did when he was feeling confident about himself. So now he is disinterested in Darby, is actively neglecting her emotions. And every time she's excited to talk about anything in her life, he just steamrolls it. He's not listening. He's just a blank wall, really. Uh, and it's really tough to see this because we know at this point that Darby is an amazing person. Uh, the show has shown us that she's a dedicated worker, has great dreams, and is a genuine person who cares about people's emotions. Um, however, she finds herself in her similar cycle where she's just people-pleasing all along. This is something that happens in every relationship, even the ones that you are rooting for her in. She is people-pleasing them. She is kind of bending her own emotional state to give the pleasant answer and the pleasant that and the answer that she thinks that the other one wants to hear. So you see her get kind of swept into Magnus's life. And um, of course, that does lead to a marriage. I'm jumping episodes a little bit here because his relationship is actually spread out through about uh, three episode chapters. Um, but of course, by that second episode, they are married, they're doing life together. And She's doing her best to uphold the relationship. I got to give it to her. She's an amazing girlfriend, but he's basically given nothing back. Um, Before we get that big marriage reveal where uh, Anna Kendrick starts going to therapy and uh, the therapist really pushes her back and challenges her to think about 
uh, some things of her past. And that gives us to this big flashback episode. I really appreciated the structure of this episode and where it comes in the series of episodes along the season. I believe it's episode seven and, or excuse me, it might be episode six. But to this point, each episode has followed a different relationship. And while the show was never not entertaining, I was growing worrisome that the structure of it is just a little too obvious. If each episode is just going to follow a relationship that ends up failing and just gets up one step closer to our ultimate relationship, it's kind of like How I Met Your Mother. It just gets repetitive. But this episode breaks away from that format and we go back to see what is like her first relationship. And uh, there is so much going on there. (laughs) I really appreciate that the show did that uh, because it keeps it interesting. And even outside of this episode, that from this episode forward, we don't follow that structure anymore. It, it, it's just a roller coaster throughout. And the pace is really picking up here. But anyways, we see that she went away to boarding school because she never felt at home anywhere. And the first episode, we know it is established that she has two homes because she's the product of a divorced household. So with both respective homes moving forward and starting new families, she doesn't feel like she quite belongs in either one of them. So like a weird teenager, she goes to boarding school and tries to blend into a new crowd. She becomes infatuated with this popular kid who, when there's no one around at school, he does something that Magnus does. Uh, Because we're still in the Magnus relationship while we're getting this flashback of this other character from when they were teenagers, I think what the show is telling us is that Magnus in this relationship is what this kid was to her. And because that first, because this kid and from her past was her first real relationship, uh, it, it defines what her relationships are moving forward and where she finds herself in her current marriage. So I think if we, if you follow the plot of both of those characters, they actually do mirror each other in a strong way. Uh, they both pump and dump her. So, Uh, Early on in their interactions, they both are looking her in the eyes and telling her how amazing she is, how beautiful she is, and all these great things. And then at the turn of a dime, uh, they are suddenly disinterested in her and are, it's honestly kind of gaslighting her because now she's the crazy one for being in a certain place when they're not there. Um, Yeah, I just think that they marry each other in a great way. And that helped me understand the dynamic that's happening between Darby and Magnus, because otherwise you just can't fathom why she's still with him. Have to address the elephant in the room. What kind of name is Magnus? I mean, I guess the show is like trying to tell us that he is a ridiculous person who just has a big ego. And that's why his name is Magnus. But I can't believe that this show always says that name with a straight face. I think it's a ridiculous name. Sorry to anyone who might be listening named Magnus, but I think your name is a little weird. All right, I'm getting all over the place here, but let's get this back on track. So the flashback plot wraps up with basically her heart being broken as a teenager. Uh, Not only has she been mugged off by her potential love interest completely, who just made her believe he was in love with her, Uh, but now she has to come home to seeing that her roommate, uh, and her closest friend who honestly was a shitty friend is basically just hooked up with him. And that's the final nail in the coffin. She doesn't know how to cope with these emotions. She's completely alone out here. And that's when she just fabricates a lie that she had cancer. Um, this, she does it maybe out of, to get attention. She really doesn't even know why she does it in this moment. Um, it's something that I've certainly seen a lot of people in their youth do 
Uh, I've never fabricated something maybe that extreme, but I've certainly had moments similar to this where I can't even justify why I did it, but I basically came up with some lie about myself. Um, I've never even like admitted that. I just, I can't even think of anything in particular, but I know that emotion rings very true. And this is just another moment in the show that is just so uh, honest. There's a lot of moments in the show where it's very honest and very raw in, in ways that I've not even seen portrayed before. There's another moment that I'll circle back to a little later on even that I didn't even realize was an experience of mine, but I realized it there. It should be noted that this entire flashback is being delivered to us through the lens of therapy. Uh, I think I did mention that before, but I do want to ring on this bell that the therapist is makes a really strong impression, even though we see her only for a bit of one episode. I do think that the therapist is doing a fantastic job, and I do like to see therapy more and more in the shows that I'm watching, especially being shown in a more realistic way that is productive and not in just a stereotypical whatever way that you might have seen in, let's say, the mid-2000s in a lot of sitcom TV shows. But one one note that is a little weird, the ther- the last scene that we get with the therapist in this episode uh, has her charging her $170 for their first little session there. And there's a, there's a little gag with the therapist not knowing exactly how to use the card reader on her phone to take the payment. But I felt like there was a bit of a note here that was a little critical to the role of a therapist and how much money they charge for these conversations. I personally am all for therapy. I think it's amazing. I've had amazing experiences with it. But it's not something that I can afford to continue doing for myself because just like in this scene, one her first consultation meeting with this therapist was $170. That's a crazy amount of money. Like... I cannot afford to do that. I You have to have a successful job and be making, honestly, a decent amount to afford that extra expense. I mean, that's similar to a rent. That's just crazy to me. But it, it's interesting to see them uh, not shine away from the reality of how expensive it is to go to therapy because a lot of places don't put a dollar value to it. They might allude to the fact that it costs a lot, but you're, you don't get hit with that dollar value very often. And I just think that it's important to acknowledge how valuable therapy can be, but how, I don't know, how (laughs) just expensive it is for better or for worse. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe you want the person who's giving you mental advice to be getting paid a lot because it shows their value. But for me, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. The final shot that we get in the flashback scene is when Darby has to face her parents after lying about this whole cancer situation and they're picking her up from boarding school, you know, they're done with this whole experiment. And basically, they're pressuring her to explain herself. Her dad seems to be coming from an open and loving place, but certainly he isn't quite understanding the place that she's in. And the mom is coming from a very cold place. There's clearly a lot of resentment here. And this is certainly a defining uh, dynamic between the two of them that certainly does get picked up in our episode later on that highlights the relationship between Darby and her mom. But this is one of the most heartbreaking scenes. There have been a few times where I teared up in the series, but this show, excuse me, this moment in this episode was one of the stronger ones. She exclaims to them that she just wants to go home even if they don't want her around anymore. The heartbreaking nature that Darby at this young age, she might be 13, 14, Maybe 15, 16, I'm not sure. I guess she was in high school. But that 
she just doesn't feel like she belongs anywhere and she doesn't feel wanted by even her parents. They are quick to remind her that they love her, but just repeating that fact over and over again doesn't necessarily make that true for Darby's experience. And uh, there is even a point in that episode where her father calls to tell her that they're going to have another child. And this kind of confuses and destroys Darby at the same time. She knows that having a child is not a bad thing. It's something to be celebrated. So, of course, she congratulates her father. But she can't help but have these heartbreaking emotions where she feels like she's being forgotten and her dad's maybe moving on from her in a way. Uh, I don't think that the father character is villainous in any means. He's clearly trying his best, but he is totally missing the mark with his daughter, mainly because he isn't spending all that time with her. And as for the mother, like I said, we'll get into that as we get to her own dedicated episode later on. As we jump back into present day, we're reminded of just how sad it is that she feels stuck in this relationship, perhaps, because it is proof that she is capable of being loved, uh, something that she grapples with throughout the series. Um, And this is when we really start getting a lot of shots of alcohol. Uh, The show has shown our characters drinking pretty much in every episode. They haven't made a point to vilify the presence of alcohol in anyone's adult life. But I do feel like there are a lot of shots that are intentionally drawn on the amount of beverages that each character is taking. This is mostly shown with Magnus. Uh, You see him drinking constantly. At first, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But throughout the entire relationship between Magnus and Darby, both of them are drinking a lot. Darby, not so much. But Darby certainly is pouring herself glasses in almost every single scene we see them with um of course magnus is the one who takes it out of proportion he's drinking alone throughout the day not leaving the house and constantly with a beer in his hand but it should be noted that darby does increase her drinking as well there are a few different other plots that happen throughout the show that show the show that show us the audience that uh drinking might have a negative uh presence in a lot of our characters lives here It's not until Darby reconnects with the romantic interest of hers back from early high school uh, in present day that she starts to really get the bones to end her marriage with Magnus. But before she can do that, she needs to be reminded of what a potential other relationship can be like again. So she meets up with the person from her past and they they do have a nice little connection again. He's matured to a nice, genuine guy. And we see the nuggets of good guy that were there when he was a kid as well, before he uh, was a total douchebag to her. But he apologizes, he makes his amends, and he, as far as I'm concerned, spends as far as far as we continue to see this character, we see him only in a positive way uh, moving forward. He does seem like he has genuinely matured into a nice person, or at the very least a genuine person. He clearly is still very interested in Darby, and his advancements are... Subtle but present and not over the line by any means. Um, but he, 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 he's trustworthy, let's say. Um, of course, she does end up hooking up with him. Uh, at this point, there is a weird moral uh, crossroads here where Darby has technically cheated on her husband. Uh, that being said, she had been neglected for months and months at this point. And uh, of course, us being the viewer of Darby, uh, it feels justified for her to cheat on her husband here. But it should be noted that this is a gray, gray area. 
even though he maybe isn't being the best husband, he is trying. And there are enough scenes uh, where he admits his faults and commits himself to being better that show that he does love her in his own twisted way. He just happens to be in a really bad place in his life right now, and therefore he is a really bad boyfriend. Uh, Just being a suckish boyfriend at certain points isn't enough to justify cheating. That being said, it was an extreme situation, and he was a terrible boyfriend. Excuse me, husband, so the stakes are strong there. But as soon as she does, she's quick to basically end the relationship. And it takes a lot for Darby to get to that place where she's decided to end the relationship. But by her own admission later on, once she's made the decision, it all became easy for her. An interesting layer that I've seen in other relationships in my life, honestly, not my personal life, but in the relationships around me, um, that, you know, people will be in a relationship forever. And maybe it might be really tough for them to initiate the end of that relationship. But once they do, it's kind of a, a freeing This does mirror what's going on with Sarah, our best friend character, who to this point has always been a rock for Darby. Because we're following Darby's story, we're seeing her emotional up and downs. And when she's on her downs, even when she's on her up, she's always lamenting to her friends. And Sarah is her resident bestie, so she's always the one encouraging her, having her back, you know, supporting her and nourishing her in that way. But as she's doing that, we are slowly seeing Sarah increasingly be drunk more often taking more drinks more often and through cryptic language you just know that she has a a a hidden emotion going on a hidden struggle even from darby her best friend similar to darby at this point in her relationship sarah seems stuck in her relationship with jim as well the audience we love jim i mean at worst he might be accused of being somewhat of a boring guy but i think he is really charming he's very endearing and he's a model boyfriend, let's say. Um, but it, again, this is just one of those situations where they might just, they may just not be right for each other. They're very comfortable with each other, perhaps even best friends at a certain point. But when Jim starts fantasizing about his future life and having kids in a home, you can see the active look of disgust on Sarah's face that that's not the type of life she wants, at least not in this point in her life. So that's where the that's where the writing on the wall really starts to come to head and you see that their relationship starts to kind of fall apart. Originally this seems like it's going to be the to the dismay of Jim. Jim seems like he's the one who wants to hold on to this relationship and she's the one who needs to cut him off to be free. But the second that they're not together anymore, it's clear that she was the codependent one. He's ready to grow. And she's still stuck being in her early 20s. She wants to continue partying. She wants to be fucked up and forget about the world, essentially. And Jim's ready for more. And so I will say the show really surprised me with this subversion. I thought that we were going to have to maybe deal with Jim being the sad one and and deal with Sarah having to deal with breaking his heart. But it's kind of the other way around. She gets obsessed with him and she gets on a spiral. So I guess that'll be my segue to just dive into this whole Sarah episode. And the Sarah episode actually revolves around Mallory's uh, bridal shower. She's getting married to her girlfriend. And so she's having all the ladies over for a quick little cabin trip party situation. And this is when we're really starting to see that Sarah is not in an okay place. This is after she's already showed up to Jim's family's uh, birthday event when she wasn't invited. And she had already been broken up with Jim. So she's already started displaying stalkery-like behavior. And not only that, but she's drinking maybe constantly. It's clear to all her friends that she's in a problematic state. But 
because she's such like a silly person and she puts so much energy into hiding what's going on, it's hard for any of them to be real with her. And it's better to just let her kind of lose her mind just adjacently to you guys and hope that the wreckage from that isn't so large. But throughout the weekend, she just goes deeper and deeper down this hole. Uh, We get a very somber scene with her basically drinking and driving. She had been taking coke all night, so of course she can't sleep. And she gets up because she, quote unquote, wanted a burrito, is basically asleep behind the wheel and makes it back, but barely makes it back. She's asleep at in the driveway in the morning. And see, if you have had any alcoholic in your life or any drug addict, you know that this is all too real. Um, and of course, the day after a big fuck up, people are willing to admit that they are in a bad place. But that might not last. That commitment to wanting to better themselves won't last. And This is another big heartbreaking scene. I actually think this is the most emotional scene that we get in the series. There's no heartbreak. There's no breakup that that hits us harder than the interaction between Darby and Sarah's characters. They're best friends, and this is the first time. uh, Whereas Sarah has always been there for Darby, this is where Darby has to be there for Sarah. And unfortunately, this has to come in the way that a mother would be there for her child. She is... Not necessarily scolding her, but she's being very direct and she's being very just frank with her and saying, this has to stop. I think you're going to die. Like, I'm genuinely concerned for your well-being, which is just such a scary conversation to have to have. Luckily, in this moment, Sarah takes it well, but by the next morning, she's in complete denial about it. And this causes a severe rift in their friendship. We don't see their friendship ever return to what it is previous to this point at least not on screen there is progress made for sure but in this moment it it, Darby was being an amazing friend to Sarah and sometimes being an amazing friend uh, leads to even more heartbreak so kudos to the show I (laughs) I realize that this whole conversation is leaning a little towards the depressing but really the show is a lot more hopeful for that (laughs) hopeful than that and we do get to see once we get our time skip in our final episode that Sarah does go to rehab. Uh, basically, uh, Darby's inter- uh, interaction with her did lead to some progress for her, and she ends up getting married and being on the healthy path for herself. So that is a, it's a great way to wrap up that Sarah plot, and I actually do wish that we even spent more intimate time with Sarah to see more of those intimate steps in her journey. I don't try to make these episodes last forever, but once I get started talking about these shows, I just cannot stop. And with Love Life more than anything, there is so much to unpack here. So uh, I'll try to speed things up here, but we are in the mom episode. This follows Darby's relationship with her mom. At different points, we're switching from the point of view of the mom and Darby. And it's essentially like, it's like a, it's a match between them. It's a sparring match. And basically, both of their goals are to find equal footing with each other, but they are both missing the point at certain points. (laughs) So the episode opens to Darby essentially having an appendicitis uh, situation, and she has to have her appendix removed. And of course, as you do when anything like this happens, you call your mama to come and take care of you. Now, of course, this is very loaded because they have been shown to not have a great relationship in the past. Uh, much like I've seen with my sister and my mother and my girlfriend and her mother and much other mother-daughter relationships I'm privy to, they're, it's very loaded. There's a lot of layers to a mother and daughter relationship. Um, so we see that come to a head. Uh, they get into multiple arguments. But in each argument, it should be noted that there is subtle progress being made. Our Darby's mother is in therapy, which is amazing. 
and we've seen Darby has gone to therapy at this point. She hasn't uh, actively continued going, but I do appreciate that both of them are able to make progress for the first time because of therapy and they're learning things. They're using things that they learned in therapy settings to have a better dialogue with each other. So I want to highlight there's basically two main arguments that happen. The first argument happens early in the episode and you see them basically just start to bicker about small things, but it's really just arguing about things that have happened in the past. And the mom even says something along the lines of, I get it. I was just a bad mother. And (laughs) in this moment, they're both crying and there's a lot of raw emotion. And then Darby says, I think that we both just need some space really quick. So they separate and go to opposite corners of the apartment And Darby even makes a point to go on the other side of the sectional. She's in the kitchen. Even though they can still see each other, there is a physical wall technically between them. And this is a common defense mechanism. She she's creating a barrier between them because she doesn't know how to be vulnerable in this moment. And not much progress is made here, but they're both processing their emotions. They're just essentially crying on opposite sides of the room and kind of just dealing with that emotional wreckage. Um, this mirrors the scene that we get at the very end of the episode. Uh, all these emotions continue to rise, even though both characters, even though they're fighting and they're bickering, they are still sticking around. They are still both actively trying to meet each other in the middle, even though they're missing the mark a little bit. Later on, as they're shopping for Darby's younger brother to get a new mattress, an emotional scene comes out where she says, no one ever bought me a mattress. And that essentially what that's saying is she didn't feel like she was ever supported by her mother. She, like I said before, she grew up between two homes, so she didn't feel like she belonged or was ever even wanted. And because the mother had her own mixed bag of emotions of having a young pregnancy and feeling like her life was cut short from her, she didn't have those tools to support her when she was just becoming an adult. Um, it's not too little too late because even though she wasn't there for her now, they're trying to be there for each other excuse me, even though she wasn't there in the past, they're trying to be there for each other now. Now, when I said that the previous fight mirrors this situation, when Darby breaks down in the mattress store, they have an honest dialogue. And at first, this is a bit of a fight. Uh, They're both being a little bit defensive, but they're using really good therapy techniques, like saying, I'm not trying to attack you. I hear where you're coming from, but this is my point of view. You know, back and forth, back and forth. As opposed to the original fight when they just separated and went to other sides of the room, they sit in the uncomfortableness here. They're, there's tears falling down their face, but they're not getting explosive. They're taking their time and they're thinking about what they're saying and they're listening to each other. This is a great moment. This is the W moment. I have not seen this depicted in another show quite like this. I mean, the fact that they were able to sit with the uncomfortable nature of those emotions and get out through the other side and establish a true connection again uh, was really just hopeful to see. I have had countless moments that feel unsolvable because emotions just run too high and then everyone's just getting defensive and almost just arguing points to just come out on top, not to find a solution between the two of them. But it was a beautiful moment and I really appreciated that those characters were able to come to a stronger place so that the mother couldn't be a support system for her moving forward. Now that we've had a bit of a break from the structure that is following Darby on each relationship as it comes through her life, uh, you know, we spent more time with Sarah, who, in my opinion, was is a de facto main character of this series. We're following her love and her life as well. And we also had the big break with the mom. 
It's been a while for Darby since we've seen her really engage in a big relationship. She is now divorced, and in comes Augie. So we got our another Augie episode, Augie again. Lovely to see this character back on screen. Uh, the way that we interact with him is we have a big uh, Jim's Giving episode, or Thanks Jimming, I think is the one that he preferred it to be called as. Uh, it's nice to see that Jim is doing his thing. He's got his house. He does have a girlfriend, but uh, it's not going to last. Because this show is an anthology series, I think it would be interesting to get the point of view of Jim in his own outright season, perhaps. Uh, he was just such a big character, and they use him a little bit throughout uh, after Sarah's relationship with him. But I feel like there's more to be done, and if they expand this world past uh, just you know these main characters, maybe if... We continue to get a lot of anthology seasons here. I would I would have a great time following him. But that's besides the point. He's throwing this big event. So just like how Darby met Augie originally uh, through Jim, <laughs> Augie comes back into the fold here. And as soon as he's back on screen, as soon as these characters start interacting with each other again, it's the love at first sight. I feel that lightning again, and I just want this couple to work out immediately again. Of course, they do reconnect. Um... It's not a problem for Augie that she's been divorced, but pretty quickly you see that this relationship, while they do have a really great connection, they have a great banter, and they just get along so well, uh, it is just an infatuation. When it comes down to it and how they live their lives, they're not really on the same page, which is super unfortunate. Uh, just like we saw with their re- relationship originally, everything with them is bittersweet. So while they do have that great connection, uh, He's just a bit too much of a hippie for her, I think. Uh, He is very just go with the flow, don't do things by the books, and she has more structure to her life. And uh, even a dialogue that she has with Jim, I think, articulated it really well that he makes you... Spending time with Augie makes you feel like the rigid one. And by no means is Darby a super big square or super rigid, but by comparison of his, uh, you know go with the flow lifestyle she does come off rigid and I can see why that doesn't work for her that uh, juxtaposition even though they do have a lot of fun together so they have this really great breakup scene where they are actually both on the same page and he's really happy that she decided to bring it up because he's been experiencing similar emotions himself but as all things with this couple bittersweet right we find out that she's pregnant (laughs) which is a crazy twist I actually didn't expect to see that happen. Uh, the show continues to surprise me, even though there is kind of an obvious structure. I didn't expect for this character to get pregnant ever, really. Or maybe that would be in her happily ever after relationship, but not with one that wasn't going to be her final partner. <laughs> but uh, I actually, it works really well. And it's also a great excuse to keep Augie around because us as an audience, I'm assuming everyone's on the same page as me, just love Augie. I mean, even though even though they weren't perfect for each other, I think that he's still an awesome person and getting to have him around forever and in her life, I think is a great option for them. So that brings us into our final episode of the season. And this opens with yet another time skip. At this point, I have to say we've gone through about at least 10 years of Darby's life, which is pretty phenomenal. I actually do really feel like the show has done the work to show how each little step has developed her character. She has gone from this timid uh, little fairy dainty girl who is very naive about the world and about the dating world especially to someone who is fully experienced, knows what they want in life, and has very firm uh, firm footing in her, in her world professionally and personally. 
Um, but anyways, we we jump straight to the point where uh, her her baby has already been born. She, she's been taking care of him for a number of months. I believe they say six to nine months. I'm not exactly sure how old the baby is at this point. I think his name is Theo. But she is in that busy work mom uh, phase of her life. And she's honestly killing it. She's still doing good at work. She continues to progress and do well in that field and is fully actively juggling, taking care of the baby and, you know, milk feeding and breastfeeding and all that good stuff. And the the setup for this episode is she's going to go to Sarah's wedding and Sarah has gone through rehab. She has a new community and support system and now she's going to get married as well, which is just awesome to see. Uh, I really like that that character had that book ended. Again, I do wish that I saw more of those steps, but there's only so many episodes and so much time to spend here. So Darby's mom comes in to take care of the baby for the for the weekend so that Darby can get at least one night where she knows that the baby's taken care of and she's basically stress-free away from the baby. Uh, of course, this sounds amazing, but Darby is honestly anxiety-ridden about leading up to it. I've seen this type of sentiment expressed in shows before, the, oh, I don't want to leave the baby, I'm just worried, I feel guilty, whatever. But here, it feels really realistic. I, I, I can't give this show enough credit for truly depicting people's situations. And this is the most, this is the most I've felt watching a series that they're, what they're showing on the screen is pretty much true to form to the type of interactions I see all the time. They, the, it's a credit to the acting and the writing that everything feels transparent, it feels honest, and it feels real. So the wedding, Sarah's wedding, is a great excuse to see a lot of these characters that we've seen throughout the season in the last episode. We don't unfortunately, we do not unfortunately get the chance to see Jim again, but that's okay. I'm still hoping we get a season with him one day. But uh, at the wedding, everyone's lamenting how far Sarah came. And of course, we do get a great moment where Sarah does give credit to Darby. She says, you know, you were an amazing friend. You are the reason that I'm even alive, potentially, let alone experiencing this happiness in my life. That was a good payoff because we didn't get to see any more of the relationship between Darby and Sarah. It was nice to see that at least expressed from Sarah's point of view to let us know that they are good. You know, that chapter is done. Wherever they leave their relationship is a little bit ambiguous, but there's no bad blood anymore at the very least. And while we're at this wedding, of course, we get our last and final introduction of a new person to fall in love with here. Uh, this person is basically a British Barack Obama, if you ask me. Certainly a hunk. Um, but he has great banter, like all the potential love interests we've seen on the screen. And immediately he has a good connection with Darby. One thing that's interesting is this is someone like Darby who clearly has gone through a lot of character development, uh, drama, and history. Uh, he alludes to a previous marriage, a gambling problem, failed relationships, serial monogamy, you name it. He's clearly had his own long journey of love up and downs. Um, so I like that they are able to come together and be more or less transparent. I think it's because Darby's coming from it from the point of view that this is just a one-night connection, that she is able to look past the red flags and just have fun with him. Um, but they're both divulging all of their history, essentially. Their failed relationships, failed marriages, all the, you know, the whole nine yards there. Um, and it's not something you see very often that you are able to be that uh, vulnerable day one. But again, I think it's because Darby doesn't expect to really ever see this guy again. She is just stepping away from her child for one night to have a little bit of fun. 
course, they continue to have a great connection throughout the night. And even though it doesn't end on them hooking up because Darby is frankly too tired for all that nonsense. She has a kid now. Um, they end up running into each other later on at a gas station. And, you know, they interact and you, you see the flame flick on right, right back on for them. And the narration comes back in in a very poignant way. It says, you know, this is Darby's person. And even though she didn't get the fireworks or she didn't feel like she her life was finally now complete that she found her person, uh, there was a comfortable comfortability there that it doesn't always need to be uh, romantic fireworks and all that crazy stuff. Your person can come in any shape, package or form. So. I thought that was a great ending, uh, maybe a little anticlimactic, but the ride that we've been on with Darcy has just been great. I've said this before, but I really do think that this is the best character work I've ever seen. Everything matters here. Every single scene, every dialogue, everything is telling us something about the characters on screen, and it just all matters. I, I, I know I'm repeating myself here, but I can't give the show enough credit. Love Life masterfully what gets you to grow with with Darby Carter as she blossoms into uh, an amazing young woman and uh, I just had a I had a blast watching this show really I also fell in love with the world and uh, I've said this already as well but the writing and the comedy all it all delivers here uh, it, it feels true to form it feels realistic and there's some great comedic bits here and the drama is on point as well I recommend this to anyone, period. I recommend this to anyone who feels like they're stuck in a relationship, anyone who feels doom and gloom about love. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and everything you're experiencing is just a phase of your life that's going to get you to another point of your life that you're supposed to get to. So even the worst moments, the lowest moments, the lowest of the lows are, it's just all character development, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. I didn't mean to get onto a little philosophy philosophical bend here but I can personally say that every low moment I've had in my life has brought me one step closer to the person I am now and I continue to like that person more and more so yeah I got some good stuff out of this show uh Love Life season two is already out and airing on HBO Max this one stars the main actor from The Good Place Chidi so I'm really excited to see what this actor brings to the table here because I thought The Good Place was just amazing um, and he him himself was amazing in it. So look out for that next. I'm going to take a, a little bit of a break and then hop back into Love Life. So you'll see my review recap discussion on that soon enough. We've got plenty more coming out for you guys. This is a great, a great watch for uh, <laughs> sweater weather and cuffing season. So uh, thanks for listening to me, guys. Of course, I do appreciate any feedback. Uh, share this if you can. I know not a lot of people are watching Love Life and not a lot of, not a lot of people are watching or listening to my podcast either so i thought that that fit right hand in hand and but yeah thanks again uh, i love you guys and have a great day